0: This episode is sponsored by 43 North, a seed stage startup accelerator that's on the hunt for its next cohort. This year, 43 North will make five $1 million investments, each at 5% equity. Visit 43north.org to learn more. Applications close on June 23rd, so you better get on it.
1: The main constraint that happens inside of marketing is due to measurement and attribution in combination with short-term goals and so good luck starting a podcast or running a linkedin strategy without having an appropriate measurement and attribution strategy to measure it and then be able to demonstrate the impact some ways that you can do that self-reported attribution win loss analysis analyzing gong calls doing large-scale customer research there's plenty of ways outside of touchpoint-based digital attribution to measure and quote-unquote attribute activities like a podcast or other quote-unquote creative or innovative things.
0: If you're at an early stage or growth stage VC-backed startup, you're in the right place. Season one and two, I brought on startup founders, marketing and sales leaders to explore brand demand, what approaches work well, challenges and category design. For season three, we're going deep into messy creative experiments, marketing innovation, pushing boundaries, how to make creativity achievable at a growing startup, why it's so important today, balancing creativity with results, and how to sell the CEO on the creative stuff. I'll also talk to creatives like artists and writers to understand their approach to creativity and what we can learn and apply to marketing at our startups. See you inside. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Anna Furmanov, and today I have, second time around, Chris Walker is joining me. I am thrilled. Last time, Chris, I had you on was episode 35. That was summer 2021, and the episode is called Overprioritizing Sales is Your SaaS Startup's Biggest Mistake. So welcome back.
1: Anna, great to be here. Thanks for having me back.
0: It's awesome. All right. So a lot of people know who you are. I'm still going to give the quick spiel. Chris Walker is founder and CEO of Refine Labs. Prior, Chris was the director of marketing at Eversound, which is a wellness startup. And prior to that, he was at Vapotherm, which is a global medtech startup that IPO'd in 2018. Chris has 128,000 plus followers on LinkedIn, and you're the host of the Revenue Vitals podcast, which is a lot of people might remember. It was called State of Demand, Gen. And just in general, you have been helping people understand, like, why are we so frustrated with the old ways of marketing? What's actually happening? Why is this happening? How do we move into the modern world of marketing? And I actually started my podcast because of you. So thank you. For that, I knew I was missing something. I didn't know how much I needed it. More than you know, like there are so many benefits to having a podcast. When I had Christopher Lockhart on the show, he and I talked about how it's the only way of talking and like giving your thoughts without any edits. And it's just like the only way where people know, okay, this is not an edited version. This is how you really feel. This is how you're really thinking. So. It's just very natural. So I love having you on again. Thanks for joining me. Let me tell folks about Refine Labs. If you haven't heard about Refine Labs, founded in 2018, 76 people right now. And it's a demand strategy and research firm focused on growth stage B2B SaaS companies, helping B2B companies change how they think about, measure and execute marketing so they can stop worrying about lead volume and start generating revenue. And that's exactly what you talk about on LinkedIn and with basically everybody in, during your events, during with your content, clients include Cognizant, Venna, Zappy, and more. So it's really around that like Series B, C, D range. Is that right, Chris?
1: We tend to work with companies in that stage, but also have companies that are five thousand, ten thousand plus employees, as well as Series A startups. So it kind of runs the gamut, but. A lot of our very successful customers come in that stage between Series B and Series D, where quote-unquote startup, go-to-market strategies start to break down, where you're trying to achieve scale, where customer acquisition cost becomes a really important factor, where you're scaling your sales team and uh, need to figure out how to balance the budget and resources between sales and marketing. And so we tend to drive actual go-to-market efficiencies for scale.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And you've got three podcasts now that you're running Revenue Vitals, but you've also got Stacking Growth and Talent Destination. What's Talent Destination all about?
1: Talent Destination is focused on startup culture, uh, people and culture and how to strategies to drive that. Uh, Megan Bowen from my company, who's also my business partner, runs that podcast. And then Stacking Growth is the one that's run by our team at Refund Labs.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So let's dive in. I got a ton that I would love to talk to you about this time around, Chris. So, And very different from our last conversation. Let's start with creativity. When I say the word creative, what do you think about? What comes to mind for you?
1: When I think about creativity, I think about open space to explore. I I think about not having a fear of trying new things and failing. I think about limiting the amount of constraints that impact productivity, which will probably be a theme of this podcast, the idea of constraints. I think about, and where you derive creativity from in the business world often comes from your listening to your customers. And so I think that those types of factors are really what drives creativity. Also creating a culture inside of your organization that prioritizes creativity and incentivizes and encourages it, I think is also important.
0: Yeah, love it. Okay. When have you personally been the most creative?
1: It's interesting. I can talk through this in the business sense and then in a broader personal sense. But to me, the times when I've been most creative is the times where you have the least amount of constraints. And so when you think about that, when you start to have a larger organization, when you start to have short-term goals, when you start to have financial pressures, when you start to have potentially politics and things like that, it can, in a lot of ways, inhibit overall creativity. When I've w- been most creative, um, it's actually the time where you have the least amount of resources. It's interesting to think how the common perception, even for me at times, is more resources equals more creativity. And I've actually found it to be the opposite. Less resources equal typically equals less constraints equals more creativity. Um, and so in the in the early days of Refine Labs, I had a ton of creativity, both personally and professionally, to be able to go out and explore, uh, be able to work directly with companies, be able to share my perspective on LinkedIn and get immediate feedback, which was a the theme of a recent podcast of mine with Kyle Coleman, be using LinkedIn as a medium to get rapid insights back on messaging and perspective and point of view. And You can also find a lot of time for creativity. Like I was just in Joshua Tree this weekend spending some time and I take trips like that often to just sort of like get out of my office, get out of Zoom calls and be able to do a lot more open thinking.
0: Yeah, that's really important. I agree with you. That's why I like startups so much, because on the one hand, you're thinking, okay, I don't have enough resources. But on the other hand, that's actually a positive thing. I found that to be the case, too less politics, less pressure, less red tape, less people that have to be in that meeting and then the meeting after that and then the meeting to set the next meeting. So it's just like, let's take some time, think about things, get innovative around how we solve certain problems and then do them and then learn from that and iterate on it. And that's how startups should work. Not all of them do work in that way. But I think that they have the upper hand with the less, less resources, less people is actually allows them to hopefully get more creative. So
1: yeah, and it's a core reason why big companies, if they're starting a new initiative or a new R&D project, will go and take six people and go and put them somewhere else outside of the company, because it eliminates all of the constraints that exist inside of the big company. It's also why large companies oftentimes get quote-unquote innovation through MA, not through building it themselves, because they're in a position where the constraints within their organization actually prevent overall innovation. And so acquiring smaller companies that have the ability to innovate tends to be a strategy that they take, even though it's very possible and very likely that they could actually do it themselves if they were thoughtful about it.
0: Yeah. So I think like in general... Given that I've had a bunch of different startups come on the show, we talked about experimentation, innovation, pushing boundaries. And I think creative startups, they just tend to have that as part of their culture. Maybe Megan has talked about it on her show, but they experiment more, innovate more, push boundaries, aren't afraid to fail, right? and they push the boundaries that were put there by someone else, they might not make sense anymore. Things are changing. Like what we did five, you talk about this all the time, what we did five years ago, 10 years ago, doesn't make sense anymore. It's time to change, get away from that status quo. But it's hard to be creative and experiment, and many won't. And they won't try to create, like before I pushed the record button, we were talking about the podcast, and when I started my podcast, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to start it. And I was like doing episode one, episode two. Then it turned into episode 10, 35, 100. It's at 151 right now. Most won't do that. They won't try. They won't even try. They won't try to create the best podcast, newsletter, event series, YouTube channel, whatever it is, right? Which is what they should try to do. So what's your advice for startups that want to experiment more I think this also sort of ties into a LinkedIn post that you put out five months ago that kind of ties into the same thread.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, this comes down to three or four core things. Step one, actually listen to your customers. Listening to your customers allows you to see sort of like the blind spots that happen inside of the company that would lead you to say, oh, 47% of of our potential customers listen to a podcast at least once a week. If you did that research, you might find that. 67% of our customers use LinkedIn at least once daily. So those are made up stats, but if you actually did the research, you might find those stats to be actually quite accurate for your target customer base, which would then lead you to say, huh, maybe we should think about a podcast in LinkedIn. Step two is to eliminate constraints inside of B2B companies. The main constraint that happens inside of marketing is due to measurement and attribution in combination with short-term goals. And so good luck starting a podcast or running a LinkedIn strategy without having an appropriate measurement and attribution strategy to measure it and then be able to demonstrate the impact. Some ways that you can do that, self-reported attribution, win-loss analysis, analyzing gong calls, doing large-scale customer research. There's plenty of ways outside of touchpoint-based digital attribution to measure and quote-unquote attribute activities like a podcast or other quote-unquote creative or innovative things I think number three is this focus on short-term goals. It's very difficult to start a podcast and have that be a core focus when the goals are either too large, unrealistic, and need to be hit at the end of the month. So it drives people to do a lot of short-term things or a lot of things that generate a, usually a vanity metric in the short term. And lastly, I think it comes down to culture, having a culture at the leadership level that encourages and experiments themselves. I'm out experimenting on new channels like TikTok. We did a TikTok experiment for a long time. I continue to run micro-innovation inside of LinkedIn. We use YouTube Shorts and are getting some insights into that. For customers, we've been doing tests with podcast advertising, Reddit advertising, Twitter advertising, things that a lot of B2B companies often don't try. And so I think those are some of the core things. You got to listen to customers, eliminate constraints, set the right goals and have leadership drive a culture of uh, experimentation and creativity.
0: So the leadership driving a culture of experimentation, do you think leaders, then leaders kind of turn into marketers themselves. I think that is a miss if that's not happening. Would you agree with that? Like if you're, maybe it's the CEO, but maybe it's somebody else that's on the leadership team, subject matter expert, somebody, right? Turning them into Like the voice of the point of view that they're spreading and they're kind of showing up sort of like how you get on LinkedIn. It doesn't have to be LinkedIn. It could be something else. But using marketing channels to talk about the change that you're bringing, how your company is tied to that change, how you solve certain problems. Not all companies are eager to do something like that.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting from a mindset perspective when i'm publishing on linkedin when i'm doing a podcast i don't think about myself as a marketer i think about myself as a ceo who's creating demand for the overall business my belief wholly is that the entire business is responsible for creating demand your customer success team your marketing team your sales team your executive team uh, the entire go to market team and potentially more depending on which people you're selling to are all responsible for demand creation so i think shifting the mindset of an executive of saying, I'm an executive, and now I'm going to go and do marketing to I'm an executive, I'm going to go create demand for our entire business because I'm a business person and recognize this is one of the greatest ways to grow and scale my company and create a competitive advantage. I think that mindset shift can be really important. I do believe that all companies need executive level evangelists that are out there communicating the perspective, getting rapid insights from from customers to be able to dial in the point of view before you go out and do a large like brand campaign or a big campaign you spend a hundred thousand dollars you go to a big conference booth you launch new messaging on your homepage, leveraging some of these channels like a live event like a podcast like writing on linkedin every day to refine the message can be a really strong way to innovate on the point of view but to me it comes down to having the mindset of the leaders, thinking that, hey, what I'm doing is actually a business activity, not necessarily a marketing activity. I also push back on the idea that like LinkedIn and email and things like that are quote unquote marketing channels. I think those channels can be used across all different areas of the business to achieve different goals. You could be using email for customer success. You could be doing a live event to drive customer success. You could be having your CEO do a podcast. There's just so many ways outside of... You could be doing things, leveraging those channels to drive sales. So I kind of push back on the idea that just because marketers have historically used Facebook ads and LinkedIn, that only marketers can use those channels.
0: That's a great point. LinkedIn and email, I think of as marketing channels, but they're not. There are all sorts of people that get on there and spread the message for the company and email as well could be for customer success. Like on LinkedIn, there are salespeople talking about the problem that they're, you know, they're solving or their expertise. And it all kind of ties back and helps create demand for the company. So I love that. And I think it also makes it easier for people within the company, like because, Chris, you do what you do. People hear the message consistently, repeatedly, and then they're better able to grasp it. You don't have to do a weekly meeting to remind everyone, oh, yeah, by the way, guys, this is our positioning. This is our point of view. Let's talk about it in this meeting. Let's make sure we have a monthly to review like this collateral. And instead, you just put it out there and people see it. And it's better for your employees, not just for your prospects.
1: Yeah, like in 2018, I worked at a company called Vapotherm and I started a podcast where I interviewed experts that had done clinical research around our product or surrounding products. And the actual main goal of that podcast was not to create a podcast, it was to create sales training. So our 40 to 50 sales reps that are out in the field that are three hours in the car driving to their next meeting can go and listen to an expert that has done a research study on our product and then be able to use those insights in their next sales meeting. And it's just a completely different perspective than I think some people look at. It was able to distribute the key points of view of thought leaders in the industry to our company, to our sales team, and then downstream to prospective customers. So I think there's a lot of different ways to use content inside a business.
0: I agree. Agree. So I'm just a solopreneur. I'm not a startup. I'm not growing a big agency. But I can still see the impact because I went back and I was like, okay, is this podcast driving anything for me? Where are my customers? Where are my clients coming from? I could still see the impact of podcast, LinkedIn slash newsletter. I've got a monthly newsletter that I send out to revenue. Half my customers come from LinkedIn. Otherwise I would stop. I wouldn't be doing the podcast. I think even if I get like good qualitative feedback, yeah, Anna, this is great. I don't need to hear that. Like I could go paint. I love painting. And I would do that and I'd do that for myself because I love painting so much. And then people would be like, well, Anna, this is great. But if I'm building a company, it's got to drive revenue. So how do you create, like, what's your recommendation for how to create the best insert marketing here? Anything, right? Podcast, newsletter, whatever it is, YouTube channel, event series. How should someone think about that? and make it like the best. Because I don't think I was thinking about when I first started the podcast, I wasn't like, I'm going to create the best marketing podcast out there. I was like very specific to, okay, I think this is my niche. I should focus on it. These are the things that people probably want to know about. Let's just start. And as I kept going, I realized that there are a lot of conversations that are not being had. And I wanted to have those conversations and I wanted to kind of and I started to spin it off into let's not just talk about what's working at your early stage startup. Where are you having success? What are your struggles and challenges? I wanted to spin it off into creativity and this idea of like we're not being creative enough. We're not being innovative enough because that's what I see over and over again. So that's a very long question. But really, the point is like, what do you think? How do you create the best any sort of marketing channel or play or yeah.
1: Yeah. Step one is you need insights. You mentioned that you thought that these were the right ideas, but really you had some level of insights that led you to the idea that this is my target customer. These are the things that they want to hear. So even subconsciously, you had insights that led you to that hypothesis. So step one, insights. Step two, generate a hypothesis. Step three, actually start executing. Step four, collect data and then just iterate. So that's like the general framework. Now let's go into a little bit of a deeper perspective. So um, in 2019, I had zero customers and I didn't know how I was gonna get customers and I didn't even know who was gonna be our customer. And so I had a hypothesis that the way, the potential ways that we're gonna get customers would be through LinkedIn or through Instagram. So I had two different uh, experiments running What I learned is that Instagram drove a lot of B2C type of customers and that LinkedIn drove a lot more B2B customers. What I also learned is that through Instagram, the B2C customers, their willingness to pay for services was significantly lower. And so That insight led me to, hey, our target customer is going to be B2B companies. The way to get to them in 2019 was to leverage LinkedIn with the limited resources that we had and now I actually have to go out and with, my, with the insights and the hypothesis to produce content consistently to leverage the, and then create other insights. So you post, you get tons of comments and engagement, which leads you to new insights, which then feeds to what you should be talking about next. And so to me, that's really what it comes down to. It's being, when I really think about it, it's really having an engine of insights and a consistent level of insights that lead you to, what am I gonna talk about next? How am I going to progress this channel, whether that be video, written, pictures, things like that, and use those insights to continuously iterate where people fall down. They don't generate the right insight, they don't generate insights at all. So they're guessing, they don't have a clear sense of target customer, they don't have a clear point of view, they don't operate consistently. And they don't collect insights when they generate content. Companies that use a like an SEO only strategy, I'm not here to say you shouldn't do SEO, but you don't get a lot of insights from it. You don't get feedback. No one's commenting on your blog anymore. It's spam. And most people turn off their comments on a blog because it's all spam. So you don't get insights from customers about whether this is actually helpful or not. You just see, oh, we got some web traffic. And so I think that using predominantly social channels to generate those insights can be a great way to lead you to the the future of the strategy.
0: Yeah, it's fast. I mean, I agree. Blog posts, great, but then put stuff on social and you get immediate reaction. Is it good? Did it do nothing? Are people engaging with it or not. Absolutely. So actually about your, it's been a journey for Labs. What sort of insights have you gotten or what have you learned from like constantly iterating? What are you changing about the content you put out? I see you and I see like basically I go on LinkedIn Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. I now have just like a block of time where I I'm like, this is my time. I need to get on LinkedIn and do my thing, right? It's part of work. What have you noticed and changed about the content that you're putting out? So I was actually, what I was going to say was I see you talking. It's like Chris's face shows up. That's the first thing I see when I go on LinkedIn. So just curious, what have you learned? Is the talking head, does it still work? Does it still engage? You do still talk about certain things you talked about a couple years ago, you still are pushing on that similar message, right? You're bringing back videos that you used last year that people have not seen. They're still engaging with that stuff. So just curious what you've changed or kept the same with your content.
1: Yeah. Some of the things that we've noticed, I spent a lot of time innovating on TikTok earlier this year and bringing in this like green screen element into LinkedIn worked really well for me. I haven't done it a ton, but when I have done it, it has worked really well. So being able to take other content mediums into LinkedIn or other platform strategies and bring them into LinkedIn has worked well for me. I think the like straight video format still continues to work really well, although I continue to push LinkedIn to prioritize video more. Part of it is the dynamics of the actual platform, right? So in 2019, video didn't perform really well and text posts were the main way that people got a lot of quote unquote engagement or views. And when I started to do the tests on them, I found that more views does not equal more revenue or more pipeline or more results. And so I leaned in very early to video content, knowing that the depth of engagement of someone watching a seven minute video of mine is much better than someone seeing a post that that says marketing isn't magic and a text post that gets a million views. There's also a lot of other dynamics on LinkedIn. You see a lot of people getting 6,000 you know, likes on a post and in the background, they have an engagement pod that's pumping up all the metrics. So it looks like they're being really successful. They get 200,000 followers, but in reality, they're just gaming the LinkedIn system, which LinkedIn should be able to solve by now, but continues to not be able to. So, I mean, like, yeah, there's hacks. I choose not to use most of these hacks, but people do. On LinkedIn, I've been mixing in more image-based content. So just taking an image and writing about that, which tends to get more engagement than a video overall. So leveraging images versus video has been helpful. I still write text posts, but I think it's about having some level of a mix. But I would say that the most emerging opportunity on LinkedIn is leveraging vertical format video, similar to other vertical short form videos, similar to other platforms like a TikTok or an Instagram reel. I think that's a big opportunity on LinkedIn right now.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, it's Anna, the host of Modern Startup Marketing, the show that you're listening to. I'm also the founder of Firminov Marketing Consulting. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help early stage startups clean up their marketing mess with the right strategy and execute with laser focus. So whenever you're ready, there are three ways I can help. One, as your startup's fractional head of marketing, I've had over 25 happy clients and mentees. Two, you can sign up to get my monthly newsletter where I'm sharing playbooks and insights and cracking some jokes. And three, you can sponsor this top 5% podcast and get startup founders, marketers, and VCs hearing about your brand. And now, back to this episode. So I was rereading this book that I have. Maybe you read it. It's old. It's called 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. It was written in 2002. I kind of like to nerd out on that stuff. Like, what did people used to talk about 20 years ago when it came to marketing and branding? And how do we talk about things today? What has stayed the same? What has changed? What did they used to say that we kind of forgot about? And we should bring that back, right? And have you read that book, actually?
1: Maybe, but I don't remember it. Yeah,
0: it was a long time ago. I found it at my parents' house. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I have highlights in there and all that stuff. So I knew 20 years ago that I was into marketing. Can you believe that? (laughs) So one of the laws in there, it's called the law of the category. And it talks about a leading brand should promote the category, not the brand. Because customers don't really care about new brands. They care about new categories. So, for example, they don't care about Domino's pizza. They care about whether or not their pizza will arrive in 20 minutes. So just thinking about category design, I've had several conversations on the show. I've had Stage Startup come on the show and talk about category design of course, I've had Christopher Lockhead come on here. I've had other companies come on here and talk about category design. I had Udi come on here. The episode is not live yet, but he talked about Gong and all of the work that went into their category designing. And he actually said, don't do it. He said, it's too hard. Don't do it. If you can stay away from category design, don't do it. So I think people in general are confused. I work with Right now I'm advising a startup and they were like, we're category designing. Either you're on this boat with us or you're not on this boat, but we are doing it, right? And it's hard and we're going to do it and that's it. So I think some people are for it. Some people are like, don't do it, even though we did it, just don't. I think people are confused about category design, whether or not it's worth the effort to pursue. So I was just curious, Chris, what's your stance on
1: that? Yeah, before we get into that, on the immutable laws of branding, I think there are a set of fundamentals in business and marketing that are timeless. Listen to customers, think about how to price and package, use those insights from customers to drive your product strategy, your promotional strategy, your pricing and packaging, your positioning, like marketing business fundamentals. And then there are tactics. The tactics change. 20 years ago, it was events, you know, field sales potentially a lot of B2B companies barely probably didn't even have a website at this time. The tactics change and being able to adjust those tactics, but the fundamentals that drive what you do for those tactics remain, I think, generally the same. You need insights, then you need to figure out based on the insights, where are people spending their time? How am I going to, do I know the difference between creating demand and capturing demand, leveraging fundamentals to then go into tactics. Whether we're going to implement a TikTok strategy or a LinkedIn strategy, the top-level strategy is the same. Here's our point of view. Here's our target customer. Here's why would they have a predisposition to choose us. Here's the offer that then goes into tactical channels. When it comes to category design, I think that there are a lot of instances where companies should not do it. I also believe that category design is best suited at the usually at the beginning of a company's journey or as an enhancer of existing positioning. But taking a company that fits into an existing category and has 500 people and then trying to move it into a or transform it into a new category that is not just an enhancement of the positioning can cause detrimental short-term effects, which might be what Gong experienced from time to time. So... I think this is totally, it's a business strategy decision. I think the timing of the decision is critical. I think that the amount of runway that you create for your company to actually see the impact of it is critical. And so there's no black and white answer here. I think there are pros and cons to doing this, but do believe wholly that customers care about the category, not the brand.
0: Yeah. And I think it all kind of ties back to that. And that's why I loved reading it in this book. Like That was 20 years ago, and that's what people were talking about. And that was the message. And that chapter is gold because it brings up these examples, too, that you look back and you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that's totally on point. So there's no black and white answer. Well, that's fine. No black and white answer. But I think like that is why people are confused. But it also makes sense. And I think the point here is don't do it unless it makes sense to do it. Just like you shouldn't create like a business decision unless there's a reason to do a certain thing, you should not decide to do it. So don't just category design for the sake of category designing and you want to grab like be at the top, be the category king. Don't just do it to do that. Do it because it makes sense given where you sit in the marketplace, where you are timing wise, what else is out there, who you're competing against. How they talk about themselves, how you're different, if you're different enough, that and if it makes sense to do it, then do it, right? Don't just do it to design a category. That's my stance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So cool. All right, well, I mean, that's what's been on my mind, Chris. So at the very end, I like to always ask my guest, do you have a question for me?" Actually, I think you do that too, or I don't know if you stop doing that, you but do it. you do. Still do it. I love that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what are some of the things you're seeing with early stage startups? Let's say less than 100 employees. What are the key trends within marketing and business?
0: Key trends. Well, it's a lot of it is the same as when I started the company, because I work with early stage startups. So there are still a lot of companies that are throwing spaghetti against the wall. When I meet with them, they're like, we've tried all these different things. We're doing marketing. But there's no cohesive strategy. So that's a key trend that I always run into. But
1: Why do you think that's happening?
0: Well, so part of the reason is because they know they should be doing it. But there's a lot of like very... The folks that I work with, the founders I work with, they tend to be more technical, like technical founders, product-focused founders. And they... Understand sales because you need sales to, you know, keep growing your company, stay in business. But I don't think they understand so much, like, why are we doing this marketing thing? So then some of my clients do. They understand they're like, you know, the company I just mentioned, they're like, we're creating a category and we're going to do it. Either you're with us or you're not with us, but we're doing it anyway. So of course I'm like, I'm with you. I'm with you. They get it. They're like, you know, this is the way we got to do this podcast. We're small. We don't have a lot of resources. They're like building the ship as they're, what is it? They're, what the saying, I never know how to say it correctly. They're like, they're flying the plane as they're building it, right? But they're still doing podcasts. They're doing the monthly newsletter. They're trying to get on LinkedIn. They're doing all the things that they should be doing. And they're really small. But a lot of startups that I talk to, they're just kind of doing it and not sure why they're doing it. They know they should. So I think that has stayed the same throughout. I am noticing. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Founders that don't understand marketing, right? (laughs) And it's crazy because in any other function of business, if you had founders and you didn't understand product, if you had founders and you didn't understand finance, you'd go and figure it the fuck out. You'd go and learn it or you'd go and find someone that really understands it and have them be a co-founder as well to fill the gap. And for whatever reason, companies just don't look at, marketing the same way they look at all the other core areas that are needed to run a successful business i think it's super fascinating and i think it comes down to the idea that 10 years ago you didn't need marketing as much and the way that buyers buy has fundamentally changed which has driven the need to use quote unquote marketing to create demand in a different way yeah it's a really interesting thing as companies get more mature they figure it out you know what i mean And whether they have a CMO or they bring in help or however, they realize that they need to get it done in order to continue to grow and scale. But early stage founders, oftentimes, I think the breakdown is that they truly don't understand it and they don't prioritize learning or finding someone to fill the gap.
0: That's right. But the ones that I work with, they do prioritize it because otherwise I wouldn't be working with them. But I think the thing that is still there is kind of like a lot of what I do is also kind of showing and explaining and another trend I've noticed is like they're seeing the competition and they're seeing how the words matter, websites matter, visuals matter. They're like, oh, my gosh, like this really matters. Like they've got this personality. They are, they're showing their products, but in this unique way. And we want to do that, too. And so the trend is like everybody's getting pretty good at this, too. Like certain companies, not all companies, some of them are still look very vanilla. If you put like 10 websites together in a certain space, you have no idea who's who that's still there, Mm -hmm. but I'm noticing a trend in spaces where I didn't expect it, where it's very technical. I've been working with like developer focused products and I'm seeing a lot of personality and I'm seeing a lot of like pop with personality and, you know, let's show our true colors and maybe they're selling to enterprise, but they're still being funny while balancing that with showing that they're skillful. And that's really cool. That's really good to see that. But I still have to get on calls and talk about why we need to figure out our tone of voice. Like, do we want to be more casual or do we want to sound more formal? And by the way, if we show like how our team personality is, it doesn't mean that we don't have expertise. That's separate, right? So I still have to explain those things. And those are the fundamentals of marketing that you talked about, Chris, that in order to differentiate yourself, you're always going to have to bring out certain parts of like the brand and the personality and talk through those things because they matter just as much as your product, Mm -hmm. even more, (laughs) I would say. So I hope that's helpful. So certain things have stayed the same, but things have changed as well. Which I'm happy to see.
1: What about with the broader macroeconomic change? I have like, there's some companies that are being successful here, maybe 10% that are continuing to grow, maybe a little bit higher, but a majority of companies are off somewhere between 20 and 80%. And so, how's that impacting early stage startups right now?
0: I think if you're focused on a specific target buyer that is impacted by the economy, then you're going to be impacted by that. But if you're not focused on that target buyer and there's a lot of industries that are just fine, what I'm noticing, like this is actually, I've been the most busy that I've ever been, honestly. Mm -hmm. So there's something about what industry you're in. Certain industries are just fine. I think it has to do with like government, ed tech, products that are selling into technical focused founders, not founders, leaders, technical leadership, The certain industries are just not getting as impacted. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm noticing. And because I work across different industries, there's definitely some that can't. But also the other thing, Chris, is I'm a fractional head of marketing for these startups. So maybe they're putting off hiring a full-time marketing person But they still value marketing or they want to understand it. They want to make it part of their business strategy. So they bring on a fractional person. I think maybe that's why I'm seeing more activity in the space. Interesting. So, yeah, very different company from yours, but also kind of, you know, we overlap a little bit. I work with earlier stage startups. I'm a solopreneur. I have like a a team of contractors, but there's still certain things that I'm seeing that I think you're seeing too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's awesome to see your success. I remember the early days of Demand Gen Live and things like that. Yeah. So, I had really no clue of- what
0: I was doing, but you brought the inspiration, Chris. So I appreciate you. And we still talk about you. I bring people on the show, like Katie Mitchell was on the show, and we mentioned you because that's how we met. A lot of people actually on LinkedIn in our community, that's how we met. We met through Demand Gen Live. So we appreciate you so much. And yeah. thanks for pushing me yeah. too with the podcast. Like, I can't say I did it for any other reason than you said, you know what? I'm going to challenge you (laughs) to start a podcast. I was like, yeah, I'll take on that challenge. And then lo and behold, I got to 150.
1: There are no estimation, but a majority of companies that are above a thousand employees with tons of resources and things like that haven't produced 135 podcast episodes. And you have with one person. And so it really, it's an illumination and a highlight that resources are not the, and money are not the things that drive innovation. So another good point that people agree with.
0: I also selfishly kind of, because I never had a chance to do this when I was working full time. So I selfishly just wanted to try it out myself and prove it out myself and be like, listen, I can do this. I can map it back to business results. It can be done. There is a process. And that's part of what I help startups with is like, what is that process so that it can be done with a lean, nimble team? So I just feel like I can do that versus somebody else comes in and they're like, yeah, we'll help you with your marketing. And they've never done that before, which happens a bunch, actually. So anyway, thank you, Chris. This was Awesome. I love digging into some of the things that I had questions about. And then, of course, I love asking my guests, like, what question do you have for me? Those were really good questions. And I'm rooting for you. I love, you know, I see your stuff on LinkedIn and I am still super inspired by you. So thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, great to be here, Anna. And again, congrats on all your success. Love to see it.
0: Thank you. If anybody wants to find Chris, you could do so on LinkedIn. Chris Walker with a string of numbers. I will include the link in the show notes. And to learn more about Refine Labs, you can go to refinelabs.com. Thanks again, Chris.
1: Thanks, Anna.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Furmanoff, or go to my website, firmanovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening.